Recently, I stood outside the church in the back driveway, gathered with the preschool teachers as they welcomed back the toddlers on the first day of summer preschool. Our director had developed a protocol so that no parents would enter the building, but all drop-offs would take place outside on the sidewalk. As we waited for the first families to arrive, one of the teachers and I commiserated about how life had been for each of us over the last several months since we had seen each other. She said, I tell my teenagers at home that all of us are like a glass full of liquid that is filled to the brim and one more drop and we will spill over or one little bump and we, we will be jostled and begin to spill. It's a delicate balance. Her image has lingered with me. All day that day I wondered and several times since I've pondered how is my life like a glass full of liquid and one more bump, or one more drop, and I will just spill over? Two different men who I admire and respect told me just this past week, I just broke down in tears in my office. It's just too much, so much, so heavy. For the first couple of months of the pandemic, I heard a lot of people say things like, well, the slowdown is kind of nice. Cooking at home every night, finding time to read books and clean closets and more time to play with the kids. But in the last week or so, I feel like almost everyone I have talked to has said to me in one way or the other, my cup is too full and it is now spilling over with worry, anxiety, uncertainty, and frustration. We are no longer dealing with just a health pandemic and the economic fallout, but also the confusion and angst arising from a society demanding radical changes to bring about racial justice. Today's scripture lesson from the book of Ezekiel was written to a group of people who were filled with worry, anxiety, uncertainty, and frustration. Ezekiel speaks on God's behalf to a society buried in confusion and angst. Ezekiel shares a vision, and the vision has three parts. The first section is all about bones, dry, brittle, lifeless bones. In a bizarre scene, leg bones and arm bones and back bones are strewn about on the dusty, parched earth of a stark, empty valley. It's a scene of utter hopelessness, a scene of despair, a scene of defeat. It's worse than death. These are dry bones skeletal remains in a desolate wasteland. In scene two, a noise rattles. It rattles the bones and brings them back together and the flesh returns and the tendons reconnect and God breathes new life into these stale bones and they revive, they stand up, they flex their muscles and they curve their lips into smiles and they're, they're joining their lives together again. In it, you can just feel a symphony of delight and wholeness and energy reemerging. And in scene three, 
the prophet Ezekiel announces to the people, this is not a dream. This is your own story. You were a community that was dead, and God is breathing new life into you, and you will live. No mincing words here. Ezekiel tells him straight, you thought your country was dead. You thought your government was crushed. You thought your temple was destroyed, but God will raise you up. God will bring you back. God's spirit will breathe into you. This is no abstract vision. Ezekiel addresses the people who have been deported from Israel to Babylon over the course of the last 30 years. They had lost everything that made home home. The temple where they had prayed was lying in rubble. The businesses they had built were abandoned and their bank accounts frozen. The homes they had lived in for generations were empty or occupied by foreign invaders. They were living as refugees in Babylon without the comfort of a neighborhood where everyone spoke the same language. Now, a decree has gone out that they can come back home, but they are so tired, bone tired, emotionally depleted, physically exhausted. They are out of breath. And God says, into your community, I will breathe. 20 years ago, I traveled to New York City with a group from our congregation on what we called a faith journey. Part of that trip included a walking tour of Lower Manhattan. I remember we were standing on a street corner near the end of the tour, surrounded by tall, shiny skyscrapers and bustling traffic when our tour guide pointed across the street. A few years ago, said the guide, they were building a new building, a new skyscraper on the side, and they were excavating the earth when they discovered that this corner was a graveyard. Dating from the 1700s, this had been a burial ground for slaves. Here they found 419 bodies, half of them children. But we guess that there were probably 10,000, maybe even 20,000 slaves buried here under the ground upon which we stand. That place has since become a museum and a historical society, but for hundreds of years, the history had simply been paved over. No one paid attention to the sadness or the despair. In Ezekiel's vision, we are forced to look at the pain in the valley of dry bones. Much of what our country is going through right now is a walk through the valley. Brian Stevenson is one of our nation's best teachers. He is a graduate of Harvard Law School. He's the author of Just Mercy, which has also been made into a movie. Brian, who is African-American, said in a recent interview, quote, I think everything we are seeing right now is a symptom of a larger disease. In speaking about his own personal experience, Brian says, I'm 60 years old. I've been practicing law for 35 years. I have earned a lot of honorary degrees, and I went to Harvard, and I still go to places where I am presumed dangerous. I have been told to leave courtrooms 
because the presumption was that I was the defendant and not the lawyer. For too long, many of us have been tempted to pain, to pave over the pain of the past. For too long, many of us have been reluctant to walk through the valley of dry bones with Ezekiel and pay attention to the broken places in our own community for too long. But the prophet Ezekiel does not take us directly to hope. He begins in the place where the people are tired and worn out in that valley of dry bones. Last week, I had a dream. I dreamt that I was in an art museum with my husband. It was a gallery we had been to before, and we were looking forward to the paintings, the beautiful oils hanging on the wood-paneled walls in the gallery off to the side of the main gallery. But when we went in there, all the paintings had been turned around and hidden behind the paneling. We couldn't see any of them, though they were there. And when I woke up, I realize that there must be something I am needing to see from a new perspective, something that is right there in this life, but I have not yet been able to glimpse it. Are you wondering this too? If so, then maybe you are in good company, you and I. One of the most brilliant spiritual minds of the last century was Thomas Merton, a Catholic priest and monk who also worked for justice in our world. His famous prayer begins like this. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. Do you hear it? He was in a valley. And it is sometimes there in the valley that we experience the beginning place of hope. Last week, I got a text from a friend of mine. She leads a mostly white suburban church in the South. She just began pastoring there less than a year ago. She's thriving there and they're enjoying her partnership and ministry and she happens to be African-American. She texted me out of the blue and she said, can you breathe? And I said, yeah, but it's hard. How about you? How are you? I asked. She responded, weary, exhausted, hopeful. She went on to say that for all of her life, she's been working for racial justice. And she watched her parents, now in their 80s, work for justice. And she watched her grandmother, who died well into her 90s, work for justice. And so she is weary and exhausted. Will it ever get better? Aren't we all wondering that same thing? But for Ezekiel... Better comes only after a trip through the Valley of Dry Bones. I read this scripture with a group of young women in our church on Monday night. What do you think of this? I asked. One of them said, 
here in this part of Ezekiel, God is bossy. And you know, she's right. At the moment when Ezekiel names the despair, those bones do not get told, oh, try harder, learn more, pray more. No, the only way in the story that those bones rise up is because God breathes into them. God is the actor in this story. God does the moving. God does the knitting of bones together again. God sweeps in like a wind. God opens the graves and puts a new spirit in the people. They don't get more faithful because they went to a workshop. Only when their hope is completely lost and they realize that they are completely without options does God breathe into them and raise them up as a whole community to live in a way they never thought possible? Do we believe in that God? Is that God still around? Does God still breathe through communities? Does God still knit the whole human community back together again? Don't answer too quickly. It is not an easy question. There are no obvious answers. But let me tell you a story. I met Eric, Eric Folkerth, when we were both freshmen at the University of Texas. He was from a wealthy white suburban neighborhood in Dallas. We became friends through a number of student organizations. After graduation, Eric went to seminary and then he took a job at Highland Park Methodist Church, a church that makes Country Club Christian Church not look much like a country club, if you know what I mean. And then he left Highland Park and he began a new church for the Methodist and the church grew by leaps and bounds. It was a good, strong suburban church. And just last year, he went to a new church in Dallas, a struggling church, an urban church. And last week, he got a call that there was a rally just near the church. And he felt the church should be connected to the neighborhood. And so as the new pastor, he went to the rally and they invited him to speak. And, and he spoke and he led them in prayer. And a few nights later, another rally happened. This one organized by Dallas faith leaders. And Eric went. And while he was there, a photographer approached him and queried him, I see you're a pastor. Why are you here? Eric explained about his own journey, and then he asked the photographer, why are you here? Who are you taking photographs for? And the guy said, oh, I'm just an independent. I'm a freelance photographer. That seemed a little curious to Eric, and so he queried him more, tell me, why, why are you here tonight? And the man said, well, I used to be on the other side. What do you mean, asked Eric. Well, he said a few years ago, there was racial tension in Dallas and there was a big rally down at City Hall, 7,000 people and my buddies and I, we carried long army rifles and we went there to stir up trouble. It was a rally against white supremacy and we were there to stand up for the supremacy of white people. But when we got there, I was shocked. It was so beautiful. 
all the races and all the ages peacefully working together, advocating for better practices in our shared community. And there were people in the crowd like us who wanted to stir up the crowd and agitate people and upset people and incite violence. But the crowd, they remained focused on their peaceful protest and they wouldn't be agitated and they wouldn't budge. And it absolutely warmed my heart to see the beauty of people coming together like that. And my buddies and I, we came to one more rally with guns. And after that, I switched sides. Pastor Eric was stunned. How does that happen? <laughs>